Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our buddy sword number 12. And joining me today again is Eugenio and Natalie. Welcome Hello. guys. Hello. Hi. This has been a very rough week. And, <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of things that have demoted me, demotivated me, but nothing like this paper. <laughs> the kind yeah. of work, it, it's just too much work. <laughs> yeah, um, you guys, uh, uh, I have a question for you. Oh yeah, what is it? Yeah, uh, why was the mouse on electroshock treatment so stressed? Well, he was worried about current events. <laughs> you know, like is, an is electrical that, current? Is, is that a like, joke about electrical current? Oh man, that, <laughs> I thought I made bad jokes. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. today we're we, talking about stress and uh, you know chronic stress yeah we just lost 10 subscribers because of that joke but we'll continue <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah I, I can't wait to get in this paper it has it has so many elements uh, I, I'll let you Eugenio take this one for sure thank you Jaden thank you uh, Natalie so today we're gonna discuss a really really interesting paper that Natalie brought up to the table, which is entitled Stress-Induced Metabolic Disorder in Peripheral CD4 T-Cells Leads to Anxiety-Like Behavior. This is a work done by Kay Kifan uh, from the University of uh, Shenzhen in China. So as the title mentioned, we're going to talk about a lot of stress and anxiety. So that's what the joke about Natalie, about the stress and, and, and how does actually immune cells uh, relate to that with which you know it's the very first time I, I read something like this and it's really important I think that we discuss this type type of topics because normally at school we don't see like you know this integrity of connection of two two different topics now together to describe a, a phenomenon like anxiety so just yeah. before we start I want to start with the terminology uh, in this paper we're going to talk about acute stress versus chronic stress and one of the main difference of acute versus chronic is that um, particularly in the immune system that acute uh, stress is enhances immune response and actually what is more interesting is that chronic stress diminishes immune response and, and related with leukocytes you have a decrease in leukocyte trafficking so remember that chronic stress is having like this uh, constant emotional uh, reactions over and over again uh, during a long period of time, which that is what we know as chronic stress. And acute stress is just having like this very emotional uh, reaction really in a short period of time. So one of, mm -hmm. of the other things that um, we're gonna discuss out of this paper and we know is that uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines such as IL-6 and IL-1-beta, uh, you know, they affect and alter the central nervous system. So we know that um, uh, some of, the, of these uh, cytokines can alter the neurotransmitter metabolism and have a direct impact to the central nervous system. Um, mm -hmm. In the other hand, uh, we also know that interferon gamma, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokines produced by T cells, can pro uh, you know, promote GABAergic inhibition and prevent abnormal excitability of some of the neurons. Particularly, I guess, uh, in this case will be uh, neurons that uh, secrete or signaling through through GABA, right? Yeah, yeah I, so I had like, huh? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I always I always thought maybe immune system has something to do with the neuroscience part. But I, I never I never took a break and actually waited to read. Maybe I could find like things like IL-6 and IL-beta. These are things that are secreted by even minor damages to the cells. And if these things have an effect on your central nervous system, just imagine how big a role, like there's a constant back and forth communication between the immune system and the nervous system. Which is funny because like in Immunology 101, they're like, blood brain barrier. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Your brain is, is immunoprivileged. Nothing's going to get in there and, and ruin your brain. It's like, no, it's always happening. Um, similarly, like uh, if you have 
uh, PD-1 negative T-cells, and that's like an exhaustion marker, so these T-cells are always, always going. It mm -hmm. depletes certain uh, amino acids, and it results in like low serotonin, and that leads to anxiety in the mice. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, such a long way connection. You have these ongoing T-cells eating up tryptophan and tyrosine, which are substrates for making neurotransmitters, and now you have your whole imbalance. And also the thing you said about the blood-brain barrier, that thing should be put on a Mythbusters episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It deserves it. That's one of the biggest myths I heard in during my one-on-one classes. And I think when I heard it, my professor just told me, yeah, this used to be the thing, but we don't exactly believe this thing anymore. But I guess that was one of the biggest misconceptions that we know it's not true anymore. Yeah. So one of, I mean, uh, it's really important to mention one of the things that uh, most of the article uh, talk about is about the uh, mitochondrial function actually. And as we all know, the mitochondrial is the organelle that uh, produces energy uh, and cells. And particularly there's uh, two uh, pathways that are uh, working on there in the mitochondria, which will be the oxidative phosphorylation and part of the glycolysis. And, and we know that uh, some of the T cells that we're going to talk a little, a little bit more uh, during these episodes uh, could have a factor or memory phenotype, which as uh, we all know, a mm -hmm. uh, memory or an effector uh, T cell is the one that has already been activated in comparison with a naive cell, uh, a naive cell which never have encountered the antigen, antigen before. So we have to, mm -hmm. uh, to make clear that depending on your activation state, your metabolism will change. Yeah, I would like to add something. This is a paper we discussed in the very first journal club of antibodies. And the, the whole summary, the summary of the paper was that the mitochondria goes through a permanent reprogramming when it receives CD28 signaling. That's the, the co-stimulation. And when that happens, the mitochondria, they become elongated, they have higher oxidative phosphorylation capacity and only when the mitochondria show this remodeling they are able to they're able to convert the t-cell to a memory phenotype they they show that without a cd28 simulation the mitochondria wouldn't change they wouldn't support high amounts of oxidative phosphorylation the cells stuck with they were stuck with glycolysis and these cells would never become memory cells so it's like a clear distinction depending on whether the t-cell is utilizing oxphos more or glycolysis more it's going to turn into a memory or an, a short-lived effector cell pretty interesting stuff right yeah. which uh is like my favorite thing about mitochondria is that whole endosymbiosis theory mm -hmm. is that somehow you know these little bacteria got into our cells and now we're totally dependent on them and somehow evolutionarily there's been this massive crosstalk that's evolved to the point where our t-cells don't even actually do what they need to do unless the mitochondria are doing what they need to do and the yeah. fact that like mitochondria do have a lot of their own proteins encoded in their own genome but uh, also that we have tons and tons of mitochondrial proteins that are actually encoded in the nucleus so evolutionarily, that's just whack. Totally. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I never imagined that the, my, my mitochondria for my T-cells could actually induce any sort of, of behavior. And, you know, it's really interesting because in my institute, so we are, my lab is the only one that does immunology and most of them do neuroscience and nobody cares about immunology. But, you know, <laughs> my PI always like, you know, you should have read all of this new data, but you know, it's quite, quite interesting. And we have to look a different way of how do, do we study not only immunology, but also I think neuroscience. I think this is a really, was a really great choice, Natalie. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Natalie for suggesting this paper. So if I get it right, there's a lot of links being made in this article, starting from stress to your metabolism, to your immune system, to your anxiety. So we're going to discuss all of that today, right? Yes. Yeah. But just so, before, uh, so, okay, just before we start, um, I want to talk about uh, three models or three or how does uh, we're gonna talk, we're gonna measure uh, anxiety on these animals. So yeah, so that's actually that was one thing I always thought. How I mean, if you're working on a topic like anxiety or stress, 
the first uh, the most basic thing you need to figure out is how do you quantify it sure right because i have no i I'm, i don't work in neuroimmunology or neuroscience in general i i would have no idea how you do that but this paper has some interesting models about or some interesting yeah ex- experiments how you can measure stress pretty cool stuff well and exactly it's just like mice are such different animals than humans like we're very yeah. social and we're i think we're more likely to tell someone if we're stressed or like make really obvious signs but mice are prey animals and uh you know if, if a mouse is sick sometimes it'll hide it from you for like days so yeah. um you have to use kind of really interesting ways to see if these mice are actually anxious and i guess you'll describe those now mm-hmm. yes but uh, just before we do that, I, I just want to explain how do we uh, induce anxiety on these animals. So we have two models that we're going to talk uh, throughout the paper. And the first one is a model uh, related to electro- electronic food shock. So basically, you put uh, uh, the, the animal, the mice, into an electronic grid that will be activated to induce an electric shock for, I think, three seconds. Uh, over a period of time and these i think there are eight days consecutive and this will lead to the animal to develop anxiety the other model to induce anxiety is a restraint stress model in which you basically put place the animal in a immobile like in a cage where i think it can move and you put the animal there for i think six hours you know over a period of time and then at the end the animal will eventually develop anxiety so the, the thing here, how do we measure anxiety? And there are yeah, two- right, right before we yes. go to measuring anxiety, I, I wanted to comment on this saying. So in the first one, that's from the joke you wrote, Natalie, yes. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Electronic shock, food shock. So it, it's like if I'm in a room and I'm constantly getting shocked by the floor I'm walking on, I would be, I don't know if I'd be stressed, I would be pissed off <laughs> very badly. <laughs> well, another thing to note is that uh, the the, the actual cage they're in it has a metal grid mm-hmm. and that's like not very comfy for them to walk on because they like to walk on like soft bedding and stuff yeah. so even the control condition that's kind of a stressful condition for a mouse so that's right. I don't know, something to keep in mind but now they're getting you know shocked every couple of seconds yeah, yeah. they don't they don't like that either so. <laughs> yeah, probably induces stress and the other one restrained stress so if i imagine <sighs> for a human being it would be like put in a mummy box right yeah you're mummified for six hours for six hours yeah. Dude, i'm claustrophobic just thinking about it which one would you choose which is your poison if you get had to get induced stress from one of those two i think i would choose the electronic food shock because yeah, it's I, only like same. two minutes i think but i don't know yeah i don't like to be mummified i don't know maybe you could take a nap like <laughs> Yeah, well, well I, I move a lot when I'm taking a nap, and I don't think this device is gonna let me. <laughs> like, imagine you have to itch. Damn, no, I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I want to stress yeah. now. Yeah. Well, so anyway, we, yeah, move on to measuring stress. So yeah, uh, so basically, how do we measure stress? So we have two uh, experimental procedures. The first one is would be the open field test, which basically, so you have this animal who has received all the stress. And then what you do, you place it like in a cage and you basically you record if the animal moves around the cage. So one of the indicators if the animal have more anxiety is that the animal will stay more in, in the corners of the cage in comparison to be like a non-stressed animal, which basically will move around the cage like really a happy animal. So uh, mm-hmm. what we're measuring is how uh, like the time is spending in the in the corners, I guess. And the second one, I mean, I will be really scared about this. Uh, this one is a, a, an elevated plus maze, which basically is a apparatus that has two open and two closed arms. And this is a 60 centimeters above uh, the floor. And you place the animal there. And if the animal moves to the arm, which is open, it's an indicator that the animal has no anxiety. In comparison of an animal which has been uh, exposure to anxiety, the animal will be safe in the closed area. So that is basically the two uh, models or, or experimental uh, 
measures that they did for measuring anxiety in this paper. Yeah, is it? So am I the only one who's making this connection? Like if animals are stressed out, they behave more like an introverted individual who wouldn't go out, right? Or who would stick to themselves in a corner, not go into the center where he's be the attention, like he'll be seeking attention from others. Yeah, I was seeing that that like the mice are way less curious and less likely to explore. Although the plus maze, it's like I I would be scared of the heights because it's kind of yeah. like it's totally <laughs> exposed. You should definitely Google how it looks. <laughs> yeah, elevated plus maze. What if there are mice who are just scared of the height and they don't go to the plus arms because of that? Or I, I guess you got to increase your N, right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this, these are so. You need a quantifiable variable, and if I understand, the variable here in both of them is some time, like a time spent in the center or time spent in the open arms. In case of the elevated plus maze, and they are using this variable of time to find out like changes based on different treatments. Pretty cool stuff. So yes, so the major question of this uh, the paper is, uh, well. Uh, so there, there's have been, you know, as measured before, reports that indicate that you know, immune cells may participate in the role of uh, developing anxiety upon a stress uh, stimuli. So you know, basically the question is, does these cells have anything to do with, you know, anxiety-like behavior, and do these cells activate uh, upon exposure to anxiety? And one, I think one of the most interesting things for me, I think, is like the imprinting mechanism. So, so the question is, the T cell alone can somehow transfer anxiety to another animal? And basically, you know, the last question they have, and they actually they solve it. So, what are the molecular mechanisms of how does these T cells regulate the uh, the development of anxiety on, on these animals? So I think there's a lot of work in this paper, and you know, great, great results for uh, the study of anxiety. Yeah, and it looks like they all started with this because some commercial drugs that target, like that, are treat, used for treating anxiety. Uh, like some, some, some of the drugs that are anti-inflammatory have been known to help in case of anxiety, right? Yeah, which is awesome because like most of the Uh, often prescribed drugs for anxiety, like they're they're only going for like neurotransmitters and stuff like that, and they have really horrible side effects because those mm -hmm. neurotransmitters don't just regulate anxiety; they regulate literally everything, and you get all these horrible side effects. But it's like, what if you could just dampen something that's causing the anxiety uh, separately through like uh, anti-TNF antibodies have been shown to help? So that would be awesome. Yeah. Because neurotransmitters, I would say that is a very uh, closely monitored by the nervous system. You mess up something too much, you could, I don't know. I don't know what kind of symptoms you would have. It's like probably very bad moods. <laughs> oh well, there's like you go on SSRIs and you just fall asleep for like three days. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah, wants it, that. It, it does make sense to target something else that is maybe a little more distantly related. And just uh, you have a like you have a narrow window of screwing up if if you give a overdose or underdose, but yeah, it looks like we do know from previous publications that anti-inflammatory drugs like anti-TNF they do work. We just don't know how, and that seems to be the whole premise of this paper. And uh, thanks, Eugenio, for the nice segue. We they have a several several questions that they want to ask. And the first one, they're just asking, do T cells even have a role in stress-induced anxiety? And there is no better model to just check the levels of, like, to, to check the effect of T cells than a RAG model, a RAG knockout. So the authors they induce anxiety using the electronic shock. And they tested, they measured the anxiety in the open field test, where they're looking at the amount of time 
spent by the animals in the center. And this seems like a very easy experiment. You have wild type mice and you have rag one or two knockout mice. And as we have discussed before, rag one and two knockout mice, they do not have T and B cells. So probably any effect from T or B cells will be accounted for by the by these mice. And they see that while the wild type mice, they have high levels of anxiety uh, measured by the amount of time they spend in the center, the ragged knockout mice that do not develop any sort of anxiety. So it seems like, I won't say this is exactly T cells, but at T and B cells, probably both of them doing something. I just like this, this whole idea, like there's several figures where it's just the mice never show any anxiety symptoms. They sound like straight chillers, but it also sounds kind of dangerous that they're just <laughs> reckless, you know? Yeah. And so now they know it's something to do. So I, I don't know how they're ruling out the possibility that it could be something to do with B cells, but I think they'd want to focus on T cells right now. Yeah, so, I wondered myself why they didn't go into the B cell direction. Yeah, it's not as cool. Oh, <laughs> that hurts my, my B cell cool. feeling. Oh. <laughs> well, actually, B cells are very cool. And we'll actually, just to honor B cells, we'll do a separate episode on them. Because they're, they're huge in autoimmunity, especially yeah. in the autoantibody parts. Anyway, <laughs> the, the ne next question, uh, the mini question in this, in this giant question about T cells and anxiety, the authors want to know if it's a CD4 positive or the CD8 positive T cells, that is helper or cytotoxic that are, uh, that are required. So before in the inducing anxiety, they deplete these T cells with antibodies against CD4 and CD8 T cells, I mean CD8 or CD4. And the way I understood is these antibodies will bind to the cells and then you have the whole complement system activating there and making pores in these T cells and depleting them. Yeah. They found that eliminating CD4 positive T cells, that is helper T cells, but not cytotoxic T cells reversed or I'll say resolved the ES, which is electronic shock induced anxiety-like behavior in their open field test and the elevated plus maze test. Can we just use OFT and EMP for these terms from now on? Yeah, yeah, okay. I agree. I'll, <laughs> I'll retain my sanity that way. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they also uh, test this in, uh, in the strain, uh, restrained stress model, which is the other model we discussed and they confirmed the observations. So I think they're mostly going for the electronic shock induced model, but just as a backup, if you want to confirm something again, they use the restraint stress. Yeah. Um, and this is this is all in keeping with previous uh, findings that RAG1 mice in general are like less anxious and more chill and the same with, I think it's like TCR knockout mice. Mm -hmm. um, so this is like something that's been observed before, but hasn't really been like looked into. Yeah. So next part, if you induce anxiety in a, in a mouse and you transfer the T cells, the CD4 positive T cells from this mouse to another mouse that has doesn't have any anxiety, do these CD4 positive T cells carry this element of anxiety with them? And they transfer these to a rog, rag knockout mice uh, and guess what? The mice who, these rag knockout mice who did not even get electronic shock, but just received T cells from a, an anxious animal, they developed anxiety. So Man, that's cool. crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it, it looks like this these helper T cells are carrying the memory of anxiety with them. Like they're yeah. carrying this message. And in the end, they also want to dissect if it's the naive T cells or the effector T cells, which are inducing anxiety. And overall, they find out it's both of them. It's just that naive T cells are doing a little more than the effector T cells. But both of these are triggering anxiety in the animal. I wonder Ooh. if that's almost like an age thing or, you know, it's just like they probably use like six to eight week old yeah, it's like mean, like you're probably gonna that probably that ratio is gonna change as you get older, and you know thymic right. evolution and stuff. So, so I am yeah. thinking 
do you think it's possible to develop you know anxiety after uh, immune challenge so in this case it seems like are the t cells the one that drives the anxiety but like in a normal you know in a normal condition maybe i don't know if if i get sick by something i will you know get depressed just because my t cells are producing something i don't know if it, if anyone have looked at that directly you know after yeah. an immune challenge like you you mean just a, a regular immune response would yes. make you anxious mm-hmm. yeah that that i mean that's something like just for looking from these yeah. results okay my guess would be a very a very uh, random guess is that i think there's a very specific subtype of t cells that are working there and we just don't know like something under the cd4s we just don't know which specific subtype and maybe they are specifically carrying this anxiety message Yeah, and I think I think there's something about the chronic too, because in in the acute model maybe there's something. I mean, I guess they look into this later about like hormones or your mm-hmm. adrenaline things like that, um, and they exclude that. But maybe there's something that if you're exposed every day to a yeah. challenge, it's going to change. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Instead the, of the acute way. That would be lead to the that point that you were saying about the age. So maybe I don't know. That old older mice, it will be definitely have more, you know, more phenotype of anxiety of those T cells. I don't know. They've yeah. seen more. Like it, we don't even. Like, I I don't even know what part of the stress. It, maybe it's some danger signals from damaged cells that are affecting T cells. There could be so much. But yeah, that's their actually that's their next question. They're asking. What is it specifically that the stress is doing to the T cells? And then they go to RNA seq. I think RNA seq is very, very wonderful technique. Gives you a lot of data, but that's also the bad part about it. It gives you a lot of data, <laughs> and the, I, I don't, I don't know what to look at when I see giant heat maps, and I get very confused. I think maybe people who work with these things on everyday basis, maybe they find it easier to decode. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's like it's it's a broad thing that helps you funnel into a hypothesis. But if you don't even know what you're looking for, then you're just gonna cry. Like you gotta have a question that you're asking. Yeah, and so they look they look at the change or differential regulation of genes when the animals are either not treated with anything or they are induced with electronic shock. They find that. Inside the CD4 positive T cells, a lot of mitochondrial proteins are getting upregulated. So something's happening to the mitochondria, and the fact that we know mitochondria has a lot of roles to play in how T cells are activated. We were just talking about glycolysis versus oxidative phosphorylation, giving rise to either effector or memory T cells. They performed. a seahorse analysis i think it's the first time we're using this word seahorse on this podcast so i'll just very briefly brush through it it's a technique it's a it's a it's a i think it's a device where you can measure the it's a correlate of glycolysis and a correlate of oxidative phosphorylation and you can measure these activities inside a cell and what they find is that these t cells from the electronic shock induced model of animals they had reduced glycolytic capacity and looks like they did they also have reduced oxidative phosphorylation I oh yeah so. yes. yeah they also had reduced for oxidative phosphorylation and right here right right here i can i can see that the cell is probably diverting its metabolism somewhere else right Yeah, absolutely. Because th- those are the mitochondria things. We all know mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Yeah, <laughs> that's one thing we definitely know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they eventually, like overall, they they conclude that the stress is making the mitochondria do less of glycolysis, less of oxidative phosphorylation, and they also report that stress affected the mitochondrial structure. and it reduced mitochondrial fusion now i'll just put a very brief point here that when mitochondria are fused they work better fused or let's say separated mitochondria they don't work as well so having redu- less of fused mitochondria means these mitochondria are not as good as they could have been 
okay something's happening again so many so many loose links and we don't even know i at least i don't actually even know what like what other things apart from metabolism mitochondria is doing so many different questions right well i mean uh it, it participates in cell death oh yeah cell uh, absolutely uh, <laughs> but powerhouse of the cell that's it, <laughs> that's it. one word <laughs> i i just wanted to mention that uh, or to add that all of this phenotype is found in the naive t cells Oh yes, yes, right in the naive T. So I guess they looked at naive T cells because they found that naive T cells had more of a role. Yeah. Like naive T cells were uh, contributing more towards this anxiety behavior compared to the effectors. I don't know if All I right. like that, but we'll let it stand. Yeah. <laughs> so next, next they're looking at the different molecules that were produced under stress by these T cells and. Uh, so normally none of the neurotransmitters had any changes in the serum levels of these mice that means whatever the stress is doing it's not changing the number of uh, neurotransmitters great from literature we know that some fatty acids uh, especially omega-6 fatty acids and the arachidonic acid is enriched in the brain after stress and they knew that uh, amino acid metabolism has some role in inflammatory process as well so they look at some metabolites uh, in the T cells and they found that leukotriene B4, it's normally, it, it was upregulated and they also checked, they also found that leukotriene B4 by separately administering leukotriene B4 to T cells, the mitochondria underwent fission. So now we have some clear link. There is leukotriene B4 coming from somewhere and it is making this mitochondrial remodeling inside the t-cells this is when you get into the severe biochemistry yeah it gets very confusing <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very bad at lipid mediators yeah yeah <laughs> anyway so their next question actually they know if just giving if just administering leukotriene b4 in mice does this cause stress-like behavior and yes it does we actually have a molecule which as a standalone molecule can make you stressful and also it also did the same thing to t-cells it promoted mitochondrial fission inside the t-cells that's that's terrifying i wonder if there's an inhibitor of that that we can just give as a drug yeah if we can that... give it to induce anxiety then we can give it to stop anxiety yeah but then it also brings us to the question what is it the only one what if there are like what if there are other things but just from this experiment it looks like this is sufficient right mm -hmm. and overall summary of this whole experiment that mitochondrial fission is induced by leukotriene before and it does affect anxiety and the weird part about this experiment is that they don't talk about leukotriene before ever again like in the future experiments nothing not even mention of this molecule <laughs> i mean this is the biggest cliffhanger right here <laughs> i mean i, also, I guess <laughs> like wondering why only on t-cells so why only this molecule works on t-cells so you know i, I think it's, i don't know if they Wait, actually compute. did they look at it on other cells yeah i mean they do but they only see that they only work with you know the only role on t-cells on particularly for t-cells but I, I don't know, you know, thinking about a more evolutionary perspective or physiological, why only CD4 are the ones that responded to these molecules and induce uh, the anxiety behavior, you know? Yeah. Like, to me, all everything that I've known about CD4 T-cells, having a role in anxiety was the last piece of information I ever thought that would be relevant. It seems What's... like it's there. Oh my gosh, don't they talk about this later with the PNP2? That's well. I guess we'll get to there. Yeah, but let's I don't get know to if there. that's if that's specific, but yeah, anyway, we'll get to it. Looks like the authors. So authors are more interested in this mitochondrial fission. I think that's what they're pursuing. We know that leukotriene before did mitochondrial fission, and these animals did develop anxiety. So is mitochondrial fission itself sufficient to induce anxiety? And that's the question they're asking. For that, they have generated this specific protein knockout animals, Mitogarden 2. 
Turns out Mitogarden 2 is required for mitochondria to fuse together. So without this protein, they stay fragmented and fished. And they see that, so we, are we going to abbreviate this Mitogarden 2 as MEGA? MEGA 2? Yep. And they see that MEGA 2 deficient mice displayed reduced locomotion. They spent less time in the center of the maze. That means more anxious. And they were also more afraid to be in the open arms of the angel. I mean, <laughs> in the EPM test. <laughs> That's some, some song lyrics get messed up in my head. <laughs> anyway, and they now they're looking at if depleting CD4 positive T cells in these animals. So this is like a spontaneous model, right? Yeah. Like, yes. It's almost a spontaneous model of the of anxiety. They have these animals that are developing anxiety without any electronic shock or restraint. So they are checking if this spontaneous anxiety is can be treated by depleting CD4 or CD8 T cells. And they find the same thing. You remove CD4 positive T cells and the anxiety that was that was afforded to these mice by mitocardian 2 loss is reversed. Mm. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so they also look at CD6 and VLA4, uh, random letters here, but these are integrin molecules that are expressed by T cells that is required for entry inside blood-brain barrier. Now, I think this is in a supplemental figure, but I actually wanted to discuss about it, but I because I thought it's very unique finding here. They neutralize these two molecules to prevent T cells going to central nervous system. Okay, and you would think that if these T cells are not able to migrate to the CNS since these molecules are blocked you wouldn't see anxiety, assuming the T-cells would have to be in the CNS to affect your mood or anxiety. But turns out it had no effect. The T-cells don't even have to be in the brain to promote anxiety. Which suggests that it is a metabolite secreted yeah, by the T-cells. something secreted by T-cells that is going to the brain eventually. Hopefully it's the brain. Maybe, <laughs> what if we find out <laughs> lymph nodes are the center of your anxiety? <laughs> I mean, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, summary, if they say that mitochondrial fission in T-cells, it affects anxiety. And in fact, they even confirmed this with a T-cell spe specific MEGA2 knockout, where only T-cells cannot have fused mitochondria. I think it's I a CD4 positive one. Oh, in the CD4 positive T-cells, right? Yeah, Not just I all looked, T -cells. They, they crossed it with a CD4 Cree, I think. Okay, yeah, so yeah, very neat experiment. You know that the fission it has to be in the CD4 positive T cells to have anxiety. Pretty yeah. cool stuff still. And this paper <laughs> keep this paper keeps surprising me and I I I get demotivated every experiment I read because it's so much work. Well, so many yeah. grad students. <laughs> I, I think that like the story would have been fine here. Like they could they could have still gotten the paper if they just this had literally have, this much yeah. information. Like this could and be a paper like, for sure. And they were like, no, we got to keep going. <laughs> like for this paper, I would gladly log into the VPN and read this paper. That's how much of effort I'm willing to give for this paper. <laughs> <laughs> but they did not stop here, did they? They wanted more. These greedy authors always looking for more information. Next, they want to know what is the mechanism through which mitochondrial fission is affecting anxiety. And yeah, that's actually a very valid question because we just know fission is doing it, but how, what? So much, so much still unknown. And since metabolism is heavily regulated by the mitochondria, they looked at metabolomic profile in T cell specific mega to knockout mice. And the authors found that there was increased purine metabolism in these mice, uh, in these T cell specific, uh, mega T cell specific knockout mice with uh, increased purine adenines. Yeah, wait, was it increased or decreased? Uh, there's, there's an increase, right? Because there's more right. of the xanthine. Um, but I guess that makes sense because then if you if you're getting rid of the mitochondria or if the mitochondria oh, yeah. can't really do their job, it's going to bias metabolism towards 
you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, I was saying yeah. it the other way. You're right. So, yeah, yeah, so from going from the mega, like, pan mega knockout where all the cells have mega loss, this just this mega two T cell knockout, it still gives you anxiety. It's still a spontaneous model of anxiety. And these mice had way, I 10 to 100 times more of adenine, hypoxanthine, xanthine, all these purine derivatives. Just in case we haven't mentioned purine is that the, the nitrogen is base present in the nucleotides, the A's and the G's. Yeah, and it right? looks like a little, little, I don't even know, like a pentamer thing. Yeah, some pentagon like, thing. I yeah. hate organic chemistry. I wish I could never <laughs> see that again. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm in the wrong part of the work. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so uh, they they want to know if this change in xanthines, the, all these purine derivatives, was it because of T-cells? Yes, they deplete T-cells and suddenly the xanthine, they're specifically focusing on xanthine here. It's a purine derivative again. The xanthine reduces in serum. And this may suggest that the T-cells are the source for the xanthine. Well, I, could, I would argue this. Maybe it also suggests that T-cells are making something and another cell is responding to that something and as a, and making xanthine. Yeah, I think they discuss this later at the, as that there's like not a complete, uh, you know, rescue of the xanthine levels mm -hmm. in the, in the mega-2 T-cell knockout mice. So like someone else is creating it and there's obviously like metabolism is messy. Like lots of other things are making lots of other things. So yeah. who knows? There's so much background in, in this. Like you have metabolism that is basal for cell survival. You have some for cells division and then you have for whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> we might think also in the combination of the other uh, purine metabolites that could, you know, increase the anxiety. Now we're looking at one molecule, but maybe, I don't know, hyposanthine or other yeah. uh, derivatives could also lead to increased uh, anxiety, you know, it's, it's I think it's really complex. At this point, I also sometimes doubt the resolution of our, of the techniques we use to measure. And maybe there are molecules that are not detected by these techniques. They could fall in a very weird class that we just, we don't even know about. Right. Always possible. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so they, Repleted T-cells, less of xanthine, probably something through xanthine. Maybe the T-cells are required for this xanthine production, maybe directly or indirectly. And they also find same that naive T-cells are contributed more to more of this xanthine than affected T-cells. Now, just like how they injected leukotriene B4 in these mice, saw if that alone was capable of inducing stress, they inject xanthine and adenine. And mm -hmm. guess what? Yes, just injecting IP injections of xanthine and adenine triggered anxiety-like behavior. Hmm. Man, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and they use this inhibitor BCX one triple seven, an inhibitor of purine synthesis, and it did significantly reduce symptoms and serum xanthine levels. Like it reduced anxiety symptoms. So is this all, are they already hinting towards a possible treatment? Yeah. And I think another figure, uh, in, in this figure to your point that it could be a treatment is they show that, uh, between healthy and anxiety, uh, prone patients that the, the anxiety patients have more xanthine in their serum. Uh, I think it's really hard to show conservation with certain metabolic things between mice and people because it's not like in a sequence. So yeah. uh, that that's really cool. That is. And, yeah, suggests that maybe it could work. <laughs> yeah, overall with this figure, they summarize that these pathogenic, so they're calling these pathogenic T cells. I think they mean that they're not normally supposed to be there. They're here as a result of a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And they produce excessive xanthine that results in the on onset of anxiety. Which brings us to the next question. What is the xanthine doing? So we are we are following breadcrumbs right now. <laughs> Starting from stress and the leukotriene B4 to T-cells to mitochondria fission to xanthine. And which cells are responding to the xanthine? That's a very good question. So they look at left amygdala. 
which is a part of the brain associated with fear, anxiety, and emotional responses. In the MEGA2 T-cell knockout mice, they found that the left amygdala was enlarged and it had more non-neuronal cells compared to the wild-type controls. So that's some hint. Maybe something is expanding there. Yeah, yeah. And they perform... I guess we don't have a lot of... Maybe... I, I don't think it's flow cytometry. Maybe it's not a very good idea to do on glial cells. That's why they're using well, single-cell RNA-seq to identify cell types here. But your brain is, like, super fatty, so I think mm -hmm. you just clog... I, I mean... I haven't tried it, but I'm sure you would just clog your flow cytometer. <laughs> yeah, true, right? Yeah, probably. And you and those cells are weird shapes, not like immune cells, where are mostly like, they get back round, to yeah, of a round shape. <laughs> yeah, so they run single sec R single cell RNA seq to identify these cells. They also want to find out the expression of this adenosine receptor, which which can sense these purine derivatives like xanthine and adenosine mm -hmm. they found that the oligodendrocytes they express high amounts of this purine receptor called a1 and mega 2 knockout mice had increased number of oligodendrocytes in the amygdala compared to wild type mice again mega 2 knockout that's the that's a spontaneous model of anxiety so these anxious mice had more oligodendrocytes, which they just showed that also have high amounts of A1 purine receptor. And, and they found that the xanthine could be helping in the proliferation of oligodendrocytes. Oh, maybe that's why it's chronic, because yeah. as soon as you have the xanthine, it turns on the proliferation mm -hmm. of oligodendrocytes, and then uh, you have more sensitive cells that will continue proliferating as you get xanthine. Yeah. So so it's like a feedback, it's like a death spiral basically. Mm. As soon as you start getting xanthine, you're just gonna get more cells that respond to xanthine and then you're done. So Yeah, probably these cells are primed to yeah. take more of xanthine. They are like even they have high amount of receptors suddenly so that even little bit of xanthine can be detected. But it also seems that you you also require signaling of stunting to not only to proliferate but also to survive because when we in this mega knockout mice when they block cd40 cells so you don't have stunting you somehow rescue the levels of uh, uh oligodendrocytes oh, yeah, yeah so it could be reversible yeah I, I i i yeah i see that like if if depleting t cells reverses the, the oligodendrocyte proliferation or maybe oligodendrocytes are are they short-lived long-lived i have no idea i don't know what a brain is man <laughs> <laughs> how do you spell brain is that, or is it really brian <laughs> who anyway next they knock down ed or a1 is it looks like a receptor for xanthine and uh, in oligodendrocytes specifically and it rescues the anxiety phenotype. So, so much, so much link going on. Again, starting from T cells to mitochondrial fission, to xanthine, to oligodendrocytes, and just removing the ability of oligodendrocytes to sense xanthine, you are rescuing these mice from anxiety. Mm -hmm. Pretty good stuff. Who, in the end, now they're they're coming to some very fundamental or i think they're getting deeper into this problem but how exactly so we know we just found out that mitochondrial fission allow these t-cells to make more xanthine but how what is the the link between mitochondrial fission and more xanthine production and we already see that we have seen that these anxiety-driven mice had fewer, uh, have low oxfos and glycolysis in T-cells, and the same phenotype is shown by these mega-2 deficient T-cells. Low oxfos, low glycolysis, so that's square with previous finding. And they find that these, these mice had a lot of ribulose 5-phosphate, enosine and adenosine, compared to wild-type T-cells. These are some of the metabolites that are downstream or produced through pentose phosphate pathway, the triple P. <laughs> and it, 
The Triple P has a very weird name that I will never remember. It has some three scientists name and I'm very glad that I don't have to remember that name. <laughs> no offense to those scientists. It's just very hard names, man. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so they are suggesting that it's possible. It's possible that the glucose, instead of going to the oxphos and the glycolysis pathway, it's getting shunted to the from the pentose phosphate pathway. And this is the pathway through which nucleotides are made. This is this pathway is upregulated during cell division. It's the primary pathway for for de novo uh, production of nucleotides and adenine or purines are a part of nucleotides. So there we have it. It all comes back around. All comes back around. So yeah, and so you would think about that right when you see that some things you have these T cells responding to stress and suddenly they reduce their glycolysis and oxfos and they also reduce their fatty acid oxidation which also takes place inside the mitochondria they this glucose has to be going somewhere like it probably is the glucose that is changing its course but yeah, yeah. very good finding very good finding overall in summary they report that the mitochondrial fission it diverts glucose to the ppp for xanthocytosis in t cells i think i'm very satisfied with the finding Yes, and I like how this figure, two of the figures in this figure are just like showing you the different pathways because they're like, we know you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, do you know what glucose is? <laughs> Man, I haven't seen glucose in years. I swear, every six months I look at the, the glycolysis pathway and the TCA, and I think <laughs> I'll remember that now, and every other month I am blank I, I, I remembered it till hexokinase and after that what was that some g6p no I, I don't have time for this I'll just read it again whenever I need it exactly anyway so this is the last link they have they have formed this connection between mitochondrial fission to higher pentose phosphate pathway flux of glucose to xanthine production they're still not satisfied and the authors want to know even more. They want to know what exactly is this fission doing that's suddenly triggering the pentose phosphate pathway. And I want, there's a lot of molecules involved here. I, I don't want to overwhelm the listeners with this, but it is known that mitochondrial fission. So normally when mitochondria are fused, they a, pro, a ubiquitinase protein called STUB1, STUB1, is made, and this ubiquitinase it tags it tags different proteins for uh, degradation. Actually, you guys know FOXP3 is one of the proteins that STUB1 tags. Oh, there you go, T-Reg. Yeah, T-Reg stuff. Yay, cool. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> IRF1, interferon regulatory factor one, a transcription factor, is also tagged by stub one for degradation. This happens when mitochondria are fused. However, when mitochondria are not fused, when they're fused or fragmented, the I think something something with the regulation of stub one, it cannot degrade IRF1. And it results in accumulation of IRF1 in the cell. And since mega 2 mice do have fragmented mitochondria, this is a good model, they see that there is increased IRF1 accumulation. And these authors use previously published ChIP-seq data. And they find out that IRF1 is enriched in transcription start site of enzymes that upregulate xanthine production. Here we have it, full circle. I, I think this also lends uh, some of the specificity that we mm -hmm. were asking about, like it doesn't, you know, IRF4 is interferon regulatory factor one. So it's like mm -hmm. a super immune thing. And, you know, it definitely plays a role in innate immune cells. That's where they got their chip data from. But like, it does suggest that it's an immune thing uh, with some specificity. Yeah. And they cross, they, they still want to confirm this. So they cross IRF1 knockout mice with mega 2 T cell knockout mice and these mice had normal levels of xanthine biosynthesis. So since these mice cannot produce IRF1, the IRF1 cannot bind to the 
transcription sites, uh, start sites of the xanthine production gene. Well, it makes sense. They still, so they, these mice still develop some anxiety. That means IRF1 may not be the only factor at play here, but it's probably one of the factors. Yeah. And to summarize this figure, the mitochondrial <laughs> fission allows IRF1 accumulation in the cell, which then upregulates transcription of Xanthi's biosynthesis genes. Woo! We have wow. the, we have 1% <laughs> of the picture, but this is has been a very productive paper. I feel like I may not forget the, the things I've learned from this paper for a long time. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool. Uh, they obviously did all their due diligence possible. Yeah. Let, let's move on to overall discussion. All right. I, I am. I'm, I'm very. I'm very psyched about finding out how we can use this information to this better our understanding. Yeah. So overall, this paper elucidates one model in which T cells uh, under chronic stress directly inf influence the brain to cause anxiety. So this is like a crazy idea, but actually this field of neuroimmunology, it's not a new field. It's an idea that dates all the way back to 1950. Uh, the idea is that, that uh, the immune system can talk to the brain. And I guess we know that because whenever you're super stressed and you got like, you know, grants to put in stuff and then after it's all done, maybe you get sick or something. Like clearly it's all connected. Um, as I mentioned before, certain T-cell knockout mice models actually have less anxiety and depression, um, but that's still like a, a, a field that has a lot of conflicting evidence and controversy. So uh, one of the significant aspects of this paper is that they're actually determining the genes that are the basis of T-cell mediated anxiety. Yeah, so. I, I want to add something right here. Now, every time I had fever and I felt low, you would just assume it's because of fever, but what if you have more of inflammation and yeah. maybe that's what's causing you feel low? Yeah, I mean, um, they kind of talk about this in one of the next paragraphs is that uh, autoimmune patients, you know, specific autoimmunities that have a lot of excessive T-cell proliferation, uh, this is often uh, associated with anxiety behaviors. Although, I mean, that's a confounding result. I would probably yeah. also be pretty anxious if I had, you know, inflammatory bile, bile disease. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, if, if you don't have Tregs, mice without Tregs, or uh, PD-1, which is again like a, a suppression marker for T-cells, um, they lose serotonin, but it's because of, uh, there's more of, what was it, tryptophan in the, the serum, which depletes the serotonin. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean so, less of tryptophan? Yes, yes, because they're eating up all the tryptophan. Yeah, mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, but if you put back the tryptophan into those mice, it doesn't completely rescue uh, those behaviors or the serotonin levels. So here again, we're running into that metabolism is super messy. There's a lot of background and we don't know entirely what pathways are feeding into what. Um, but I think a really cool question is that like, this means that maybe there are other therapeutic targets for anxiety um, and, and establishing purines as a mo modulator of brain activity is huge. I mean, apparently they mentioned that other people have found this, um, but they really verified and established that link here. So together that links metabolic dysregulation, chronic stress, immunity, and anxiety. Yeah, that's I, I love this paper, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll thank you again for this uh, yeah. for oh, suggesting this one. So, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I was thinking during your, this discussion. So when we look at the imprinting data of that, actually the T, are the T cells the one that driving the anxiety? For how long those T cells will you know imprint the phenotype? So I'm thinking a person uh, or a patient who has anxiety or depression. So you know maybe targeting actually the T cells or trying to modify this imprinting for how long does this imprinting will be. And I'm thinking now about, you know, how does, because, you know, when people are uh, in depression or something, you know, they always suggest you do some exercise, do something, you know, how this, does this could actually change particularly the T cells, uh, all of this phenotype yeah. to repercute on the, you know, not having this, this anxiety behavior. It was an amazing paper, I think. Yeah, yeah I, feel, absolutely. I feel like 
if we could make rag one knock out humans <laughs> you would get so sick that's that's yeah. the problem there has to be a balance like rag one like mice are immune to fish a bubble and yeah. when you open this lab in north korea <laughs> but they will be happier you know Yeah. <laughs> we don't know that's the question the other question will be answering there but it's such a, it's such a, i mean or maybe there are individuals per kid and you could just test that like you could just take a cohort i don't know how you would measure because you can't put humans in a open field test right <laughs> go run in the field <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know but how you, can, you, would... you can talk to people about their anxiety. Like that's there true, are other true. measures of human anxiety. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> can ask them to rate it, and maybe you could see a, a cohort of skid patients versus people who have no Im- immune deficiencies. And if there is, on average, like are there are people with skid more or less likely to be depressed? Could be a study, right? Yeah. But I, I want to go back to Eugenia's point is like, what is the reversibility of uh, yeah, anxiety by chronic that. stress? Because, uh, you know, you got the oligodendrocytes kind of accumulating. So that suggests that maybe you've made a permanent change to your brain. But I mean, mitochondria change all the time. T cells are constantly in flux. Who knows? I don't. Yeah. Like how long are these changing changes staying in there? Yeah. Or- yeah. or if But, if like constant constant stress it doesn't make your t cells more like less plastic so they're going to stay in that that stressed out state for a longer time could that be yeah who knows uh, one thing is that you know the stigma of anxiety in society it's totally not fair look at look at this paper it shows you mm-hmm. your freaking t cells are going nuts yeah uh, <laughs> 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 it's not your fault Um I guess the last thing I want to touch on is uh, I think a big question they they did a lot of figures where they were saying oh this is also associated with human patients and they they bring up some human stuff but we we really don't know how well this applies to humans because humans are of course different than mice especially with, with regards to metabolism we have different microbiota uh, we definitely have different immune phenotypes um and the way they measure and induced anxiety is way different than actual human anxiety. So I think that would be kind of, you know, if we're going to go in a therapeutic direction, that's the next question to ask. Yeah. I'll I'll quote somebody I heard speaking in a in a conference I went to a year ago. He said that in the Bay Area he said that there is a whole graveyard with a graveyard of biopharmaceutical companies and all of their tombstones uh, right that but it worked in mice <laughs> <laughs> That's so I, true. I, i could never i could never forget that like you would you make these assumptions from mice and a lot of these don't translate to human so we got to keep that in mind always yeah well in summary this is the model are you guys ready Yes, so. the, the the if somebody slept in the first 18 months we were discussing this paper. <laughs> what did they what did they miss? Chronic stress triggers the production of LTB4, which causes CD4 positive T cells to undergo mitochondrial fission. And what this causes is that within the T cells, IRF1 transcription factor accumulates, which then promotes uh, you know, all this metabolism that uh, causes glucose to be transferred to the PPP instead of the oxos uh, glycolysis fatty acid uh, metabolism and this promotes the uh, production of purine and xanthine biosynthesis and then from there once you've made all this xanthine that's going to accumulate in the amygdala and that's going to cause oligodendrocytes to proliferate and because the amygdala is like the center of your fear response and all that that's going to cause anxiety. So long story short, stress can cause anxiety via your T cells and xanthine. Woo. Ooh. <laughs> Slow claps. <laughs> we have found we have found the leak. Also, did Bad. you guys see the picture? Like the uh, graphical abstract that mouse is so anxious. It's yeah, so sad. It's, it's made by a sketch artist. Like they paid somebody <laughs> to sketch that. It's so cool. <laughs> They're like, could I, you could you draw the most stressed out mouse? 
I I love these papers which have which spend time on a good graphical abstract because in this time where we have so much information available there people are too busy to read or they don't care about reading they want to look at a picture and get get the gist of your paper a picture literally says thousand thousands of words so. yeah I mean that's a very bad picture if it says a thousand words on that picture <laughs> I mean, literally <laughs> But yeah, I get your point. This is this has been a great discussion. This, I I feel enlightened about stress. I think <laughs> I, I don't think I I can I can still help my friend get back from a breakup. But okay, oh. <laughs> I'll go do some yoga, everybody. Take yeah. some anti anti CD four antibodies. <laughs> whoa whoa! <laughs> you get corona after that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's been it's been a very fun discussion. Thanks you Henio and Natalie for joining. Who? And everybody listening to this, uh, guys, please follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts or wherever I have submitted this and I just forget. And also check out our Facebook page. We post a lot of memes and sometimes useful information. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. See you all. Bye. Bye.